If you were here last week, um, Pete turned the poem of Isaiah chapter 25 into a poem of a sermon. So you can imagine how my heart sunk this week as I flicked to Isaiah 26 and realized it's a song. (laughs) It is tempting, but um, I thought I'd spare you. And we're going to read Isaiah 26 uh, shortly. But actually, um, here's how we're going to start. These chapters, middle chapters of Isaiah, they are loaded with the historical context of Isaiah's preaching. So I I want us to step into that context and imagine that we're in 8th century Judah for a minute. Imagine it's around 725 BC, and we're living in the southern kingdom, Judah, two and a half centuries earlier. That was dramatic. They didn't have AV systems back then. Uh, Two and a half centuries earlier, um, under King David and King Solomon, we were the toast of the known world. Okay, everyone had heard of Israel and, and their greatness. But by the time of the end of King Solomon's reign, so about 930 BC, that's 200 years or so before Isaiah 26, Israel had gone the way of so many nations. Internal conflict, a military coup, battle for power, and the result, two nations. So you ended up with Israel in the north, also known as Samaria or Ephraim, just to make it confusing as you read through the Old Testament. That, that was the northern kingdom, and Judah was the southern kingdom in the south, with Jerusalem as its capital. Two kingdoms, and there were two kingdoms that fought with each other. They weren't best of friends, and there were two kingdoms that very quickly became oppressed by the surrounding nations. Here's a map of uh, the day, 725 BC. Um, You can see in yellow, that's Assyria. Assyria surrounded them to the north. And you can see the green in the south, that's Egypt. Israel and Judah are tiny. I've had to enlarge them for you so you can make them out. Tiny, tiny little nations. And Assyria, not only is it Assyria surrounding them, but Assyria is, is knocking on the door. In fact, Assyria wants to knock down the door. They're, they're in trouble. Massive oppression. And it's into this situation that Isaiah speaks. He speaks over many years, many, many years. But he, he really speaks one key message. Who are you going to trust? That is the book of Isaiah in a nutshell. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust in your own might and wealth? Those days are long gone, Israel. Are you going to trust in in Egypt, in the south, to protect you from the might of Assyria? Well, they're going to try that in Isaiah chapter 31. We'll see how that turns out in a few weeks. Who are you going to trust? Completely surrounded, pressures on every side. God's people were longing for peace, for safety, for security, but But where will they find it? Who are you going to trust? That's their context. But actually, as I've um, sat and looked at that map this week, I've been left thinking, well, we can get this. Because their context is our context. I don't want to pretend it's an exact fit. but, But think about the church today. Latest survey figures show fewer and fewer people aligning them with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Church attendance is in free fall. 
Public opinion is seemingly fully and finally set against the teachings of the Bible. To the extent that you can, you can get kicked off your university master's course for quoting the Bible on Facebook. I don't know if you're following that story. In many ways, today feels quite a frightening time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're someone looking in at the Christian faith, thinking through what it might look like to be a Christian, you won't have missed this. You'd be thinking, yeah, it feels like I'd be mad to join them. It won't be easy. So who are you going to trust? I guess today's map of Syria is probably secularism. The voice that proclaims there is no God, there is no truth. Live for yourself. Live for this moment. And it's pressing in. You'll know that. Whatever fills your day, you'll feel the pressures of secularism. Very soon after Isaiah preached these words in chapter 26, the northern kingdom, Israel, fell. 722 BC, it was captured by Assyria. It never really came back. It was desperate times for God's people. And you look at 2017 and the church today, you think, well, large swathes of the church has fallen, already conquered by secularism. Who are we going to trust? That's the historical context here. God's people surrounded, oppressed on every side. But we also need to get a biblical context here. We need to see where we are in God's plan of salvation. God's people are surrounded... But they have a promise. And tonight I want us to see that, that promise. Um, this book of Isaiah, it's really a whole series of sermons that Isaiah preached over many years. And interwoven in these sermons, there is a wonderful promise. So have a look with me. We're going to take a quick journey. I promise it'll be quick. Um, but we're going to trace this promise through Isaiah. So turn back to Isaiah chapter 11, page 697. Isaiah chapter 11. You might recognize these words from carol services gone by. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, page 697. And let me read Uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was King David's father. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Can you hear the promise then? A descendant will come from from Jesse, from King David. And and he will be the Lord's anointed one. And what will he do? Verse 10 of uh, chapter Chapter 11, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise as a banner for the nations, and gathered the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish, and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. 
Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. Do you hear? This is the peace they've been longing for. They'll be conquered, that's very clear in Isaiah, but eventually they'll find rest from their enemies. And in chapter 12, verse 1, we read, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's rest. It's deliverance from God's judgment. Isaiah doesn't hide that. God's people are in strife because they've wandered from his truth. I guess we need to hear that as the church today. But God will bring about a rescue in that day. And actually that that little phrase, in that day, that becomes a, a key phrase in the book of Isaiah. The day God will rescue his people. So follow on, Isaiah chapter 13 is a prophecy against Babylon. Babylon was the enemies of God's people. God will defeat them, that's the promise. Cheer goes up from God's people. Flick over the page, chapter 15, a prophecy against Moab. Another cheer rings out from Judah, another enemy defeated. Chapter 17, flick over, Damascus. Chapter 18, Cush. Chapter 19, Egypt. They're all, they're all the enemies of God's people. This is good news for Judah. Chapter 20, Egypt and Cush repeated, just to make sure they're going to be crushed. Babylon again, chapter 21. And then Edom and flick over Arabia. That's, this is all the surrounding nations from tiny little Judah. God will defeat them in that day. But chapter 22 would have stopped them dead in their tracks. If you weren't here a few weeks ago when Matt helped us think through this chapter, have a listen on the church website. It's well worth a listen. It is a thunderbolt passage because suddenly God is saying, this is you, Jerusalem. You are coming under my judgment too. It doesn't negate the promise. The promise still holds firm. Chapter 23, Tyre will be defeated. Chapter 24, page 708, you still with me? Uh, The whole earth will be defeated. So chapter 24, verse 1, see, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priests as for people, for the masters as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. Isaiah 24, probably one of the most fearful chapters in the whole Bible. Total destruction because of rebellion against God. But it it contains a wonderful promise. God will win. Have a look how chapter 24 ends. Verse 21 of chapter 24. In that day, 
the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They'll be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They'll be shut up in prison and punished after many days. The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. You see, God will win. Enemies all around. But God will win. He will defeat his enemies. And he will rescue his faithful people. And then last week, chapter 25. And uh, verse 6 of chapter 25. These are stunning words of hope. Verse 6. Chapter 25, on this mountain, so the mountain is pictured as where God will gather all his people on that day. On this mountain, the Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Do you hear the sweep of Isaiah up to this point? I realize you've, you've looked at far more of Isaiah than you were hoping to this evening, but we really, really need to see this. God's people are, are totally surrounded. Assyria is knocking on the door. Other nations are prospering. You talk about the grass is green on the other side. Other nations are doing so well. Judah looks poor and feeble and pathetic. Sound familiar? But they are people with a promise in that day. That's the promise. The the shoot of Jesse will come and he will establish his rule once and for all. You you will know the peace that you long for. We need to hear that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this evening, you need to hear that in that day. Isaiah is calling us to live for that day. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this evening, you desperately need to hear this. He will come in that day. Get ready for that day. That is the promise of Isaiah. I mean, it's the promise of the whole of Scripture. He will come. But it's a promise that brings us to Isaiah 26. And we're going to read this chapter in chunks. I'm just going to briefly make comments on each section. But, but keep that historical context in mind, completely surrounded, but with a promise. And that will help you hear what is being said in each section. It's a song of waiting, Isaiah 26, waiting for that day, clinging to that promise. Let me read from verse 1 of chapter 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. 
You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down. The feet of the oppressed. The footsteps of the poor. Come back to Jerusalem, 725 BC. And picture the scene. The the gates of the city are shut and bolted. They're they're double bolted, triple bolted, because Assyria are outside the city trying to get in. It's not a city that knows peace. But in that day, in the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus Christ returns to restore his people, in that day, well, open the gates. Leave them wide open so the righteous can, can flow into God's city because this city, God's city, is a city of safety, of peace. Verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And that is the key here. Who are you going to trust as you wait for that day? The strength of the city, its elevated position overlooking the plains surrounding Jerusalem. Well, verse 5, he humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Don't trust the city. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Secularism presses in. The church under threat. Peace seems a distant hope. Who are you going to trust? The establishment? The Church of England in all its former glory? We're going to cling to claims of being a Christian country. Is that our hope? Political reform? Or is the Lord our rock? The song urges, keep trusting the Lord. Keep trusting his promise. Keep trusting his words. Then we see longing as the song continues in verse 7. Follow with me. The path, verse 7, the path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. They're stark words, aren't they? But ask yourself this, that that picture of tiny little Judah being surrounded by Assyria, what is the tragedy there? What matters in that situation? Bring it into today's scenario. What matters about the church in this country being in quite such a desperate state? Why should we care? 
It's very easy to care because it's embarrassing for us. So if a friend tomorrow morning asks you where you were last night, how comfortably will the word church slip out of your, your lips? You'll probably find a few other things to try and say. Easy for us to be embarrassed. The church looks poor and pathetic. Easy for Judah to think, well, we were great Judah. Kings and queens traveled hundreds of miles for state banquets with King Solomon. Everyone knew about the splendor of Jerusalem, but, but look at us now, fearing up for our lives as Assyria presses in. Poor us, poor Judah. Because our hearts very easily care about ourselves, don't we? About our fame, our honor, our renown. Listen how the song encourages us to wait. Verse 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. As we wait for Jesus' return, can we pray together that we would care more for his glory than for ours? I need to pray that. And what about judgment here? Isaiah has just had 10 chapters of judgment on those surrounding nations. 10 sermons in a row on God's judgment. I'm not sure if you'd still be here if we did 10 in a row. We find judgment hard. We find it hard to speak of. Hard to grasp the goodness of it. But isn't that because our eyes are so firmly set on our glory? Sort of, it's a little bit extreme, God. We, we only want the church to be a bit more respected in this land, really. No, no need for such stark talk of judgment. But actually, if it's God's name, God's honor, God's renown, then judgment is a good thing. Judgment says he does care. He is just. He will punish wickedness. He will bring honor to his name. God wins. He wins. Reading on verse 12, we see remembering. Remembering. Um, reading from verse 12, Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They're now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. I found these verses really helpful this week as I looked at them. On that day, as God's people look back at human history, they will see that nations came and nations went. Power comes and power goes. Lord our God, other lords besides you have, have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honor. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. You see, I've got this little thing in life. I'm trying to visit as many countries as I can. And I'm trying to keep ahead of my age. I'm, I'm one behind at the moment. I've done 39 countries. I'm 40 years old. Um, but Assyria is not on my list of countries. Has anyone been to Assyria? 
No, good. It doesn't exist. Assyria's gone. Countries rise and countries fall. The, the Soviet Empire, the great threat of the 1970s and 80s. Most of you won't remember that, I realise that. But we were worried back then. But it tumbled down. They are now dead. They live no more. Their spirits do not rise. As we wait for that day, this song teaches us to look back and to remember. Nations come and nations go. Power shifts happen as quickly as the weather changes. So don't fear nations. Don't put your faith in the latest power, the latest political revolution, the latest political correctness. Trust in the one who is pulling the strings of human history, who gives power and takes it away, who enlarges the nations and extends the borders of the land. Remember history and trust in him, God's people. Then verse 16, reading on, we see depending. Verse 16, Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries in her pain, so we were in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of, her, of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Well, I've called this section depending because that is what's called for here. It's the very opposite of self-reliance. What Judah needed wasn't a clever military strategy or political treaties or um, a careful rations program to last out the Assyrian siege. They tried all those things because we're inherently a self-reliant people. But those things didn't work. What Judah needed was a saviour. And, and they had the promise. Back in Isaiah 7, we didn't go back that far, but you can be sure we'll be reading this verse at some point over Christmas. Isaiah 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's the promise, Emmanuel. This child will come and it will be called God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. But it's not a promise we can bring about ourselves. Verse 17, as a pregnant woman about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor. Here's the punchline. But we gave birth to wind. We're meant to smile. It's a comedy image. We're, we're hoping for a baby, a savior, but we just get flatulence. But we're also meant to cry. Because we can't bring about this salvation ourselves. We look at the state of the church today and we strategize and put on programs and launch new initiatives. They're not bad things in the, themselves, but they are bad if they are things that we tell ourselves can save God's people. End of verse 18. We have not brought salvation to the earth and the people of the world have not come to life. Now, there's only one who can bring life to the dead. Verse 19, but your dead 
will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Those are wonderful resurrection images. The hope that we can have on that day. New bodies, new life. Longing for that. But we must cling to the one who promises that life. And then finally, verse 20. I'm calling this hiding. Verse 20. Go, my people. Enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce and great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. Now, do you see this is a funny way for the song to finish? The song begins with the city gates being flung wide open. Come in, come in, you righteous, safe city. But it ends with the people of God heading to their rooms, closing their doors, and hiding. And do you see what they're hiding from? Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. We're not hiding from Assyria here or Egypt or any other nation. At the end of the song, God's people are pictured as hiding from God. Because on that day, we've seen loads of great things about that day. But on that day, the Creator God will fully and finally deal with sin, deal with wickedness and evil. He, he will defeat Leviathan, that is Satan, the devil who's pictured here, the source of all chaos and evil. He will be defeated. And so will all those who have been stained with the filth of his rebellion. And so the cry goes out, hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. And that seems an odd cry. Because you're left thinking, where can I hide from an all-seeing, all-knowing God? You've got the moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam, knowing his guilt and shame, tried to hide but the Lord knew where he was ever since then humanity has tried to hide tried to cover up sin and filth with self-righteousness with good deeds by trying to deny that this day will ever come but none of those work all will be revealed on that day your most secret guilts those bits of your life that no one has ever seen and uh, they send a shiver down your spine just to think that someone might glimpse that bit of your life. On that day, they'll all be laid bare and they'll be judged by a righteous judge. So where will you hide? Isaiah 26 doesn't answer the question for us, but if you follow the story through in Isaiah, then we meet the servant of the Lord the one on whom the creator God places the sin of his people. 
All those who say, we can't rescue ourselves. We need your help. The servant of the Lord takes their sins and delivers them. So no better place to end a song like this than with bread or wine. Because with the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, we see the wrath and judgment being laid bare. Sin which must be punished, but mercy which is poured out in abundance. And we hear our Creator God crying out to us and saying, Hide yourself in my Son. Run to Him. Find your shelter in Him. Because He is the only one who can protect you from my wrath. It is a wonderful promise that we're given. It's offered to each one of us. It's offered to all who will hide in Him. I'm going to suggest we just take a moment of quiet. We'll share bread and wine in a moment, remembering Christ's broken body, his blood that was shed. It's a meal for all those who are trusting in this promise. It's a meal that calls us to hide in him. So um, if that is you, um, come and receive bread and wine. We're going to serve it at the front. Um, Don't come in any particular order, just um, when you're ready. There'll be music playing. I'm going to read some verses. We'll say some prayers together, and then there'll be bread and wine. But Let's take a moment of quiet to remind ourselves of the promise, to claim it, and to find ourselves hidden in him.